Welcome to the Bushy Black Brother Network. Good evening and welcome to Millennial Money Management. I'm Michael, your bougie black brother, and my co-host here, Chaz Jenkins. What's up, Chaz? What's up, what's up? We got a good one here, folks. We got a really good one in store. We have two special guests with us today. Two. Dose. Well, you heard one before, because yeah. she be talking on the low. Yeah, she's she's one of the regulars on the, the low inside. Yeah, she be in the background. Contributor. She's a contributor. How about that? Yeah. So we got the lovely Rachel. Want to say something? She got to speak. Everybody out there on on the interwebs okay right oh Um, rachel so so rachel has a friend i met her she's really nice latoya um yeah let's latoya can you tell us about yourself hi my name is latoya mixon i am currently in finance and generally i just like talking about finance i like talking about personal finance i like the opportunity to help low-income to mid-income people figure out their finances. Outstanding. Okay, so the the first thing about Latoya is I met her in New York, and if you know anything about New York City, like you, you used to live in New York, didn't you? Yes, I did. Okay, and New York is expensive, right? You both can agree. Absolutely. So I was just curious, Latoya, from your perspective. I mean, when you look at a lot of cities, a lot of a lot of the desirable places to live, I mean, are expensive. You know, New York, the Bay Area, Chicago, Atlanta is definitely getting up there. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles. I mean, how do you? I mean, just from, uh, just you know, living in New York, how do you deal with, you know, the price and the rents and all, all of that? Well. The first rule is never pay full price for anything. And then you go from there. So so when you talk about rent, food, any of those things, there's usually a side door into a situation. Um, For me in particular, I used to work in real estate when I got out of school. And so when I did that, it was property management. And I realized that a lot of these luxury buildings in New York, they have, it's like mid to low income housing. So if you make around 40,000 a year, you can live in an apartment that's worth like 3,500 for about 900. So it's 20, it's called the 80-20 program. So each of these new buildings, they have to set aside 20% of their apartments for low-income people. So you literally can get into a $3,500 apartment for 900 bucks. Whoa. So you ready to move, Thank Jazz? You. I mean, if I can get $3,500 for nine, I, yeah, well, 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 not? So that's, she touched on one of the things that I was, I was thinking about, just for me in general, is like for, for well, I don't have a good word, but for things that are just important to live, you have like, you know, renting, you work in a leasing office, work in real estate. If you want to know about food or if you like to eat out a lot, you know, working in hospitality, things like that, or hotels, 
I mean, how, what did you, I was, how did you get into working in real estate and what are the big things you learned working in that, in that industry? So I got into real estate actually when I was in high school. I used to work for a real estate broker and she used to do um, property management on the side. And so working in her office, I kind of learned the, some of the tips, tricks. And then I realized that, I mean, it's a it's a full industry. There's a lot of money to be made in it. I went to college for marketing and I came, as soon as I graduated from school, I went into property management to try to get back into the real estate side. And it was literally, they interviewed at my school and I started, I interviewed probably in January and I started in August. Um, I was there for four years. And while I was there, you just learn, I learned how New York City works. So everyone thinks of real estate, everyone thinks of high rent and all of this, but there's a lot of programs and laws out there to protect the, um, to protect the consumer, protect the renter. Things I've realized, like, if it, if it ever came down to it and it's a choice between, like, especially in New York, if you have to choose between paying your rent and eating, always eat because it takes about a year for a landlord to kick you out. <laughs> Very good advice. <laughs> wow. No, I mean, it's like, so it's those little things. It's like I learned that when I was working there, I learned that the system is not, one, it's not made for us. And so you need to figure out the loopholes around it. Because if you try to go a straight line, you're never going to get anywhere. So Latoya, I got a quick question because you seem kind of like you live this. What what made you so interested in say finances is just something that I like doing or was it just something that just came to you like, I just like this. I don't know why, but every time I get my hands in and I just like that, where did that actually originate? So a piece of it is nature. Um, I've always liked money, like counting and all of that. And then as I got older, I just got tired of seeing broke people. And so that, I mean, no, it's really, it's like, you look at, yeah, I was like, I relate to that a lot. <laughs> it's a broadcast about here. Okay. <laughs> the paycheck to paycheck living, the, you know, all of that is, is most of the time is preventable. Um, and then it's just, there's just a few things in my life that kind of just kept me on this path. So, you know, when I was young, I would just count, like I would have like, you know, when you collect quarters or whatever, like I would spend afternoons counting the money. Um, and then as I got older, you know, I just started paying attention to what's going on. And, and you know, like how someone would drive a Range Rover up into the projects and you kind of like, well, why? What? Right. Like, how does that make sense? You know? Um, and then a few years ago, I ended up going to South Africa and I realized that they did the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's like, it's not, the project. it's not the projects this time, it's Shacks, but it's a Lexus going to the township and you're like, wow, okay, okay, so black people are the same right. everywhere, cool. And then. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. No. Trump, Donald Trump is going to hold that quote. No, no, no. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, you know, I love us to death. But it's like, okay, so we're the same everywhere. But then we're also looking at, we're very consume, like, we're consumer focused. And, you know, it's a lot of consumerism versus there's not a lot of 
there's not a lot of teachings around investments and buying into real estate or, you know, just straight up just saving your money and not saving it in a regular bank account, but, you know, putting it somewhere else so you can gain a little bit more interest. There's, you know, like the whole concept about credit cards being free money. It's all of that. Um, And when I realized like we really act the same wherever we go because we were never taught any different. Exactly. So go ahead. So the reason I I find that fascinating that you went to Africa and say, damn, they're doing the same thing. But what I found, you know, even when I was living in New York and everywhere else, a lot of us, our people, African-Americans, blacks, whatever you want to call us, we say, why should I invest and save? I may not live that long anyway. And they use the that type of premise to say long-term investing isn't for black that's for the people who's going to live longer and have you ran into that kind of mentality other than the lack of education because i run into both the the lack of education i can at least talk to but the 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 side that people just say i'm not going to live long and i'm just going to try to get everything i can right now have you ran into so I think that that comes from the lack of education. Okay. It's, it's, to me, it's one in the same. It's a, it's a way to rationalize your current behavior, but I don't think most people don't really, I mean, some people might not think they're going to make it past 25. Okay, well, cool. But once you're 25 and then you close to 30, like at some point, like that whole, I'm just, die young so, you know like that's that's not your reason anymore oh the, the get, get right. rich and not try yeah. they won't be more honest with themselves that's and say cool. you know what there's a limited amount of resources and i just want to just sit here and enjoy my life and i don't really care about leaving anything for my kids then i feel like that's a better conversation because that's what's really happening right. but just the whole you know i'm gonna enjoy this while i'm here i don't think anyone really believes that right. like they might say nationalized but they don't need that so there's that makes me think of two things one um we're kind of seeing more more women getting into senior financial positions like chief financial officers um and second me and mike have this question all the time or at least i do in terms of like what makes certain certain things sexy like what makes finance and investing Insurance. and budgeting. Yeah, because, you know, for a lot of women will say, and I want to ask you, um, they don't get the opportunities to break into senior financial positions. And on the other hand, how do you also get more, attract more people in, into these areas, both personally to have better budgeting skills and professionally, just, you know, it's a I mean, high finance. Honestly, it's it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter if these are people who are in like these professional finance positions because I know that's just professionalism. It's the same as asking like how do you get more um, women or minorities into marketing or any other field. It's just it's just something you do at work, <laughs> you know. Um, when it comes to finance, and there's different levels of finance. So you have corporate finance, you have wealth management, you have all these different things. Um, when it comes to saying, you know, how do we get into these fields? It's one, do you have a 
aptitude for it, and then two, are you willing to sacrifice for it? So, and I think that's literally every single profession. Like, as soon as you get into this whole corporate America situation, you you ask yourself those two questions, and then you figure out whatever path you take. Um, as far as personal finance, everyone can do it, should do it. it being sexy or not i mean like i like to be able to eat i like to be able to live i like to you know what i'm saying like i like to not have to ask someone to borrow five dollars so that's sexy being able to eat is sexy as a mug because it's like like, i want to eat good (laughs) i don't need to ask for that yeah but and and so i think with chaz because we we go back and forth with it because we just finding we can talk about it all day long and I, but I told, who's, how can we get to listen? Yeah. Like, you know, like, hey, yeah. you know, Latoya's on this podcast. Hey, listen, she's talking about finance and she was in leasing and real estate. I'm like, I want to listen to that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got the, the these, you know, the main people who need to listen are the folks who just, you know what I mean? Like, like how you saying the folks who pull up in the Range Rover in the project. It's like, you you know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing? Those people who we want to reach, but... You know, we're obviously young professionals. They're going to look for certain, you know, for knowledge. But folks who need it or who are, you know, Lack less fortunate. Yeah. yeah, it's like, man. So let's you know? tell you, I'll give you an example. One of the examples that we did, and we got a lot of listeners, is we just threw out strip clubs and finances. Mm-hmm. I got a, we had a and lot of people me. downloading that. But while we was talking about it, we was talking about how if you go in, you budget your money. So we had to slide in mm-hmm. something other than, you know, you should just budget your damn money. What, what is the issue? But we, yeah. we attracted them on one end and then all, and just brought it on there because I always tell Chaz, I said, everybody ain't as smart as you are. Everybody will never be at a point to think that that makes sense. So you always have to alter that to get them to digest it differently. And I, and I guess, you know, we always looking for something else to kind of get people to say, well, OK, I guess I will listen to it. Yeah. You know, I hear you. Um, I think there's a natural shift happening and I really think it's because of okay. hip hop. So. It's if you look at Jay Z, Jay Z, he started out ratchet as hell, and then now you know twenty years later he's trying to be refined. Oh, he's talking wait, about wait a minute. He's he's got old too. He got kids and shit. He got married. He is old. If you fight well, in an elevator, I think you got to change up a little bit. I think that's the rule. You think that's? <laughs> I think it's a combination of getting old. His step, what is it? What's Salon? This, this, what is it like his sister-in-law? Yeah, Salon. Salon? Yeah. Yeah, if your sister-in-law <laughs> fights you in the elevator, you, you got you to be positive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you have a slight point, but here's the thing. is like when hip-hop was young, they didn't have anyone to look up to saying it's not just about the chains, right? So... Young, old, everyone is listening to hip hop. So now hip hop got a little older and they speaking about, you know what, you can buy your chain, but also let's do this investment. And then this is how I'm moving my money. And so I feel like, yes, he's old, but he's schooling some of these young ones. Mm-hmm. 
and they're they're moving different. Like if you look at um, what's that kid's name, the one from Cali, like the weird rap. Nipsey Hussle. Mm-hmm. Not, not Ken. Um, Vince. Oh, Vince Staples. Staples. Oh, yeah, Vince Staples. Staples. Vince Staples. So, like, if you what's what's he doing? He's just out there, like he's out there talking sense. Like, oh, he, he's being <laughs> okay, normal. He's a normal oh, rapper. I mean, but no, like we had we had a we had cash money for a long time. So now, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Now we're moving so into the error. Yeah. And I feel like that yeah. is what's going to help trickle down to the people. Okay. So, I mean, you can sit there, you can talk about the strip clubs and all this other stuff because, you know, budget your money <laughs> as you will. But it's like at the end of the day, it's like it's when you see when you see your people that you look up to mm-hmm. making better decisions and moves, then that is what's going to trickle into your life. Right, like Jay-Z said in this song, he was already saying like, hey, you know, why am I going to buy Belvedere when I could be buying Belvedere? I took personal offense to that, by the way, but... I did too. <laughs> but I get his point. Now, yes, but not two years ago. So it, we just had, I just did a music review on, who was it, Kaz and Nipsey Hussle. And one of the things I wanted to bring out in that, because they just listened to them rap, but Nipsey Hussle is, has a partnership with uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency. And he's yep. pushing that. And I had to mention it because yeah. that's the sexy thing that rappers and performers are jumping on. So if there's a financial something to build on, you got to start. And, you know, the people that, you know, young people are looking at people are saying, I got dollars, but look, this is a different way of saving and your financial situation. People like that has to say it. And to your point, hip hop has transcended everywhere. So if you start seeing like fiscal old and young, people are going to say, I guess that's what's up. Then I'm probably going to have to do something like that. So I wanted to at least at a minimum mention that and not just saying, yeah, track two with Kendrick Lamar was pretty good. And hey, by the way, you got to respect this guy. This is what he's doing on top of just rapping. And so I think you made a good point, even though Jay-Z with his old ass is doing that. But he's built up so much money and he's like, I ain't got time for it. So I'm going to do something. But the younger people who's doing things like that, you're right. that, That can have an impact. I just don't see it as of yet, though. No, but here's the thing, like, yeah. on the side, because even, like, Nipsey Hussle and a couple other ones, they be talking about how Jay-Z is low-key mentoring them, you know? So it's just, yeah. Yeah. it's trickling, it's trickling down. Like, you know, the 17-year-old might not care about Jay-Z, but he's listening to his little protégés. Yep, that's true. And so something's about to pop off into where it's just a better situation, you know? So I... I have hope how it goes. And, <laughs> and would you would you say this applies to it's not not really about race, more so it's like a general age group? Like just nah, it's race. kind of shit. Oh uh, <laughs> she didn't purse those words, I guess. <laughs> okay, all right. 
<laughs> no, so I say that because like um, I live in New York. It's the most diverse city in the world. I grew up in Queens, which you have every Queens is like a super segregated um, borough, but it's the most diverse borough in the United States. So you see everyone, right? And when I say it's race, black people are moved different. They move different because, and I'm talking about black Americans specifically. Right, right. We move different because we didn't have the information and we've been in survival mode since the beginning of time since we got here. It's straight survival mode. And so you can't teach your kids what you don't know. But my Jewish friends, their parents are, you know, like teaching them about the investments and saving and all this other stuff from a very young age. I have even Hispanic friends, you know, it's a lot of them, like you might look and it's like, oh, it's a lot of them living in a house, but guess it's a lot of them saving and it's a lot of them buying that house. And so now they have home ownership. It's, we, we move different. And so because our parents aren't necessarily ones that are able to teach us how to move in this current society, because you know, you pass down that survival mode, like, shit, I can survive anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is, can you flourish? And I feel like other people, when they come from other countries or they they bring with them certain lessons in being able to flourish and just, you know, like just simple common sense money management, you buy cash instead right. of using credit or you know, things like that versus I don't necessarily know we're taught those things. And it's a discipline factor too, because we have the lack of discipline because, you know, what's being presented in front of us, you know, the shiny things, you know, African-Americans always going for that, where the immigrants that come in says, I have to build from that. Like you said with my Hispanics friend when I was in New York, all the Puerto Ricans was like, look, we got to get this together. We're going to have to get this store. Let's buy the store. The family works at the store. They pass it along to the next family, so on and so on. You know, the Africans that show up, they all said, until I can build enough wealth, I can bring my, and then so on and so on and so on. But you're right. We've been in survival mode and some of us haven't got out of it because we don't think there's any other way other than surviving. Well, I don't want to only just focus on like the people who look tiny though, because um, one of the major reasons why I really also wanted Latoya to be able to express her her story is because you know she's very aware of historical things that have happened in Black society, like townships that were Black that did do those types of things. So, um, you know, I'd like for you to share that, too, as well, Toya, like your your educational background being at Howard and then, you know, how some of the um, ideas you have about black township, black township ownership and things where there were communities of black folks who did try to do that. But because of systemic reasons were either taken away and so we couldn't build those things that we were trying to do. Well, I don't think I need to expound. I think you did a very good job on that. <laughs> Bro, you went to Howard? HBCU in the house? Okay. Bison. Okay. Bison, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I did oh. go to Howard. Um, did learn 
I got a better education about what it is to be African-American and what, what society has done to us to kind of put us in this situation. Um, but I don't necessarily know if the education is much different than anyone else. All you really have to do is pick up a book. So, I mean, no, I mean, oh. it's, it's real. It's like, I, I started listening to books on tape. <laughs> so in the past couple of weeks, um, I listened to Souls of Black Folks by W.B. Du Bois. And he basically is just giving, in that era, he's giving his viewpoint of what Black people are going through. So it's, I think it was a little after Reconstruction. It was, he talks about how we were, how we were first promised the 40 acres and a meal because, as you know, we were farmers, um, forcible farmers, but farmers nonetheless. And the government said that we would, you know, have our own acreage to farm, but that didn't happen. And so a lot of them end up becoming sharecroppers. And then from sharecropping, you go into the industrial age. And then the question is, well, how do you even, how do you train these people? Do you train them to just be your servants? And so that's why like we look at um, a lot, a few HBCUs. So Tuskegee for one, um, Florida A&M is another one where they've started out, you know, it was industrial skills, it's farming, it's, you know, all that. Now they've grown to be more engineering and, you know, different. North Carolina A&T, Aggie Pride. Exactly. Um, all those things, they taught you to be, you know, be workers in some capacity, educated, skilled workers, but workers nonetheless. And then you have other educations that other universities that were more liberal and they set out to create all aspects of society. So if you if you wanted to be a farmer or an engineer, be a farmer engineer. If you want to be a teacher, be a teacher, you know, so it just it gave you more more options. But no, Rachel is completely, I'm sorry, I completely lost my train of thought, but I'm just gonna end it with Rachel is correct. It's a lot of systemic issues that have held us back. Um, and she knows, cause I, I called her the other day, cause I'm trying to um, get her to go on a tour with me of these towns. Um, they're actually like, there's a few designated towns that are still standing. They're not thriving, but they where, you know, like they're designated for African-Americans. So kind of like the Rosewood, but there's just a few other ones. And and it's a lot. It's When there was segregation, we did have to work together. And when we did do too well, someone came in and tried to break that up. And you can see that it's historical. It continues to happen. Um, I mean... We're good with that, though. And the thing is, and I, I think yeah, what what hurts the most is, you know, there's so many of us trying to educate each other. And it's almost like a losing battle. But I always, I, I, I tell my wife, I got to fall down, but I'm always going to get back up because... I know who I have to pull up with me because I'm not the only one that's falling because there's someone that's already down where, where, when I fell. So I got to pull up and then I got to pull them back up with me. And if we don't continue to do that, then we're just failing as a race because then we go back into that selfish mode. And then we're 
back to being consumers as instead of builders and and like you said we're creating engineers and then they're kind of restricting us in those engineer fields and that's where the tech industry is having so much use too because they're revealing that oh y'all want to keep that small boys clubs and that we're going to restrict the women because they only got there because there's quotas that needs to be made but that's never the true aspect because you know we're gonna work extra hard because we know how y'all see us but we don't get the credit for that but we should just never give up and i appreciate that because you know being educated in our hbc you know because a lot of my family went to howard and and hampton and all in the virginia that area so they've always sat me down and just taught me when i was coming up too so even though I didn't go, it was like, you're going to learn your history and we're going to get you there. So I do appreciate that. But outside of that, I think, and you can tell me if you do it or not, but I found the partnerships. Like you said, you have Jewish friends. I have a lot of Asian friends now and I'm getting the influence from them. To say, so how do you, you know, how do you move in this way? Because I'm moving, but I'm still hitting this wall. Show me how you move. So how do you, with finance, how do you partner with those people and then take that and then make different moves for us in that way? Or do you? Sorry. I don't think I do. No, that's fine. Uh, No, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I like having good conversations. So, you know, with my friends, like, we'll Mm -hmm. talk about things, but it hasn't got to the point to where we're actually partnering like i these conversations are side conversations very informal very i kind of get to see how other people are moving and then i i make adjustments based off of that like i look at different cultures i look at different cultures how they function and then i think to myself well what would be the best way to do this and so i kind of move that way so i don't i don't necessarily think partnership is the the right word i definitely i study it i you know just by being where i am and just seeing how things go okay um financially when you think about going to hbcu would you recommend other people of color you know especially women would you recommend they go to howard or you know these other places i'm sorry i didn't catch that full question oh i'm sorry I was asking, um, in in terms of your experience going to Howard, would you recommend other um, uh, minorities, especially women, go to HBCUs? So you mean not specific minorities? You mean like all just non-white? Or do you? No, well, black people. Black people. I'm, tr- I'm trying to be politically correct, low key, but it's not. It's not working. <laughs> no, I because I I just want to be I just want to be real specific. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, I recommend women, men, whoever else. I think what to me and my friends who've gone to HBCUs, what's special about it is the fact that you are the majority, and that's something that you don't get to be any other time in your life. You have four good, sometimes four to five years um, to really just grow into yourself without having to Uh focus on external 
issues so much. You don't have, like for me, I have natural hair. And I remember when I was in high school, I went to, I went to private schools my entire life and then I went to Howard. And so you go from being one of the only to the majority and it's just, it really is a breath of fresh air. And that experience, I feel like everyone should have it because just the growth you get without having to explain yourself is amazing. Mm-hmm. So what, what was, yeah, so what was that journey for you personally in terms of coming from um, the private schools and then all of a sudden, you know, you're coming into this, you're a majority early in you know high school, you're working for a broker, now you're in this place. What was that experience, that journey, and how did that help you to the person you are now? I mean, clearly it was amazing. It was, the journey itself, it was everything that I could have asked for, but it wasn't like, oh, you know, you go from, you know, like all white and then it's just all black. A lot of the people who are going to HBCUs are in the same situation. So it's, you know, like these are people, you, everyone is from the diaspora, right? So you get there and then you're automatically hit with how diverse black people are. So you have black Americans, you have um, people from Trinidad, from Jamaica, from Haiti, from France, from London, like literally from Nigeria, like all across the diaspora, we're all on this one campus. So for me, it was, like that was the best education because I just, I was able to see how diverse we are as a people. And I didn't have to answer like the basic questions. Like no one was asking to touch my hair or, you know, like just just those things. And I think that shapes you as a person because you don't, like your guard isn't up. So I know that when most times, if you're the minority, no matter what it is, like if you're the only woman or or one of a few women or, you know, like one of a few black people or Asian people or whatever, when you walk into a cafeteria, you look for your like, like you look for the people who are like you. And that's who you try, that's who you tend to gravitate towards. But when you go to a place where you're not the minority, then, and everyone looks like you, now it's personality based. Like you're my friends because Right. You know, I can't. Yeah, versus, yeah, yeah. When you're at work, he's like, ah, let me go hang out with Steve. Even though Steve be tripping, he's a black dude. So I gotta, (laughs) I gotta Like like Steve get several passes because. Yeah, Yeah, it is what it is, but. Versus at HBCU, there's no need to give a pass. It's like, I like you or I don't, period. Like, you know? Personality. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a that's a good, that's a great point. I mean, so in in terms of um, just from a financial aspect, would you say like the investment it, it helped you land into a good career path? Um, for sure. So I can I can't speak to all HBCUs, but I can speak to Howard in particular. Their recruitment is is amazing. Um, so we have like all the top. Um, top 500 companies are coming to recruit. I I was in honors program, so like J.P. Morgan, they took us to 
So you're smart. You know what? You know what? I'm gonna be a hater. I'm a hater right now. So I mean, I didn't work there, but like they sponsored the program that I was in, and they, you know, like they sponsored us. We all went to London for a week. Um, Johnson and Johnson is coming, and you have like literally all the major companies. Mm-hmm. They're coming to recruit at Howard in particular, and it helps. I don't know if this is the case. I feel like now corporate America has tried to shift to more diversity of thought. But when I was in school, it was they're looking for diversity. And what they would do is they would go to a diverse campus and get diverse candidates. And they didn't have they didn't have the option to say, oh, well, you know, this person is not qualified or whatever. We were all qualified. No reason. And we were quali- we were qualified and we were ready. And there was no reason that we couldn't compete against the Harvards. Right? Hmm. Okay. So let's let's go with that. So let's say someone we'll just talk about postgraduate, you know, just some scenarios. So postgraduate, um, whether you're living in your hometown or you moved, you get a job, um, you get an offer. Well, first of all, let's just talk about that. So you're in school. I mean, what was your journey from, okay, um, I'm, I'm a student and then getting your first offer? Or did you have multiple offers? How, how was that first transition from student to, you know, full-time working adult? Okay, so the transition was hard. I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't. Um, between, I think, but the transit, I take anything out of it. I think the transition between student to full-time working person is hard for every single person who's done it. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, it's one. Yeah, so, so, I mean, were you hitting the career fairs? Like, were you being recruited? How I got my job. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a little, it was easy. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. I'm in property management. I'm going to, you know. <laughs> I didn't go into banking or so. Okay, so that was the one where you got interviewed in January. You had a job in August. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, like, like they literally came to campus. But the way it's set up, I can talk. I guess a more general experience versus my own. But the way it's set up is that you have all these recruiters coming on campus, and then you know, like they have the portal and the website, so you just upload your resume. Recruiters, if they want to speak to you. You know, you called in for an interview and they just do like mass interviews and they pick whoever they want to to go um, on to the next round. And so the process okay. itself is pretty simple. Um, as a college student, like it wasn't, I don't think any of us had to really be on these job boards trying to figure out, you know, like how we're going to do and then send our resume to, you know, like the robo HR person and like we didn't have to worry about that like our resumes were being seen okay and i mean after that would you are you someone do you tap into the alumni network for your you know whether for entrepreneurship like hey i'm an alumni invest in my ideas or for networking like financially is that has that been a factor for you it hasn't it needs to be that is Um, No, that's on my to-do list. So admittedly, networking is not my strong suit. And so as I get older, I realize how much of a skill it is. And I... Well, I have to imagine, though, 
Howard has to be deep in New York. Yeah, no, 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 no. So there's definitely a large, okay. there's a large network and there's people I can okay. reach out to, or if I do need something, I do reach out to certain people, but I definitely don't do it as much as I should do it. Gotcha. Okay. I put you on that one. <laughs> oh, okay. Rachel pipes in with the... <laughs> Okay. That's why I said I wanted to do better. Okay. We're, we're okay. working progress, guys. That's all. Yeah. Okay. So, I in school get an offer. Basically, you know, the recruiting, the school kind of handle a lot of the recruiting process. So as long as you, you know, show up and do what you mm-hmm. need to do, that got handled. Um. So you're get the first job. Now after that, let's talk about you know. You're, after the, you're in your first job, when do you think, you know, how do you plan a transition? How do you plan a shift? Do you stay for a promotion? Yeah, like what's what's going through your mind in the first so, job? The first day of the first job, I said, this is not for me. I ended up staying there for four years now because I like my my coworkers and my um, my manager and I ended up learning a lot about like self and all that stuff. But no, the first day, like legit, I, I don't know. I, I feel like everyone knows when things just, it's not your path. Uh, whether you stay or not, you know, like that's your decision, but you know. So I, I thought about transitioning at the very beginning. I didn't for a while just because I don't know, like my life was, life was easy. Um, and when I say that, I mean, because it's real estate, because it's New York City, and because at that time, I was working in right. the, it was the biggest real estate deal um, up to that point in New York history. So it was like, you know, it was a lot of shining lights and I ended up moving in there. And so I'm literally I walk a block to work. They're paying for my cable. I have free parking. Like, wow. So you just so okay. You, you, that brings up an excellent point. I mean, if you're in a good comfort zone, do you have an incentive to get out of that? Right. And so, and I think that's where you like everyone needs to personally just kick themselves at some point because while it's comfortable, if you're not walking your path or growing, then you have like it's not for you you have to go so how i like my personal transition was i was there i was like okay this like i was like at some point i realized i have to give all this up um and i just went back to school so i literally i resigned i gave two weeks notice and i did a full-time mba program and so oh and then from there i got into corporate finance now, question, just especially for, you know, women listening, um, really, I, that's for both people, really. Well, men and women. Uh, why? Because I always debate this with people who think about going back for an MBA program. Why Why not go part-time work so you have those two years experience versus go full-time and then not have any work experience for those two years? Well, Work experience is relative. So if you work before you actually go into your program, that two years, that's just you biding time. Now, I wouldn't say work an additional two years to gain 
that ex- like depending on what you're doing. So if you if you have a promotion, and you know, so sometime within that two years you get a promotion and you realize that this is the path you want to stay on, then that's fine. But a lot of people actually go back to get their MBAs to switch careers. So working right. an additional two years in whatever company when you know that that's not what you want to do. So if you're in finance, so if you're working in finance for that two years, but you really want to switch to marketing, that's not going to help you get there. Now, I will say going to school part time is going, it's beneficial because your company is probably paying for your school. Um, you know, right. like the cost itself is less, but if it's, if you're a career changer, I, I don't see I don't, nec- I don't necessarily see the point except for the financial well, aspect of it. My case was while I was in school, I was able to start to transition. So I was able to get internships and actually start being able to transition into a different industry. So by the time I finished... Oh, I'm sorry, right. you worked while you were in school? Yeah, yeah, I was working. And again, um, it was half of it was part-time, but some of those jobs was I was just, you know, able to get experience in IT. So by the time I finished, I was like, boom, you know, I was able to transition into information technology versus go full time. Okay, no, that's, I I agree with you uh, 100%. To me, I'm looking at that. That's more of an internship. You should definitely do an internship in the field that you want to be in. So like, yeah. Um, What I was talking about is if you decide that you want to transition into something else and you believe that school is your path, but yet you're staying in the same job while you're in school and you want to do something else. Now, that to me is a waste. I mean, it's not a waste of your time because, you know, you're getting paid. But as far as the trajectory of where you want to go, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if that's going to get you there. So, yeah, I do. Rachel, Rachel doesn't like this, but I have a personal system. Uh, get your ass up out of here, and, and it applies to both your, you know, yourself and others, internal and external. So when people are tripping, you know, you'd be like, you know, you need to get your ass up out of here. So if I'm in an environment where I'm like, you know what, it's time for me to leave. You know, these folks tripping. So it's like, you know, you just look around and be like, they get, you know, you got to simplify it. So someone might be like, well, you know, I'm not going back to school, but you just might. What are the reasons why I feel like I need to stay? Like in your case, I mean, you was getting a lot of shit. Free parking, cable, and whatnot. Well, shit. Well, yeah. Motherfuckers <laughs> be lucky to get a free lunch at some of their jobs. Damn, dude. You know, shit. So it's kind of like, for a lot of people, it's just, to me, it's just so obvious. Like, you know, you need to leave. But whether it's comfort or putting the work in to change, it's family, you know, yeah, family situations. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't have it. It was like, I mean, weigh your options, you know? So I'm a firm believer in certain things. I'm a firm believer in always having an FU fund. I am. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Because what do you, what do you mean for the people who don't know? What's the FU fund? Exactly what it sounds like. Fuck you. It, Now it's. It's literally, it's your ability to walk away from any situation and know that you're going to be okay. So whether it's your job, whether it's your husband, whether it's anything, it's you mm-hmm. walk away and know that you are fine. So depending on your situation, I'll just talk about generalization. 
it's it's saving it's saving it's looking at your paycheck it's looking at your expenses and seeing where you can put a little bit away so if you think that you're paycheck to paycheck but yet you go to starbucks or mcdonald's or any of those places then maybe you switch out um one of those meals and eat at home so you know like your five ten dollars you put that you literally put that away um and that's you know that's the most dire of situations if you are a little bit more comfortable so like let's say you just graduated college and you move back home and you're working there's no reason for you not to be able to put away a good portion of that let's say you moved away you you live on your own but your company has a bonus so even something like that so if you live you literally strapped paycheck to paycheck but during christmas that company gives just a little bit of a bonus whether it's two thousand dollars or five thousand or even a thousand or five hundred like whatever that extra is instead of using that money to buy you know a whole bunch of christmas gifts then you take that and you put that away and that's your that's your fu it's literally it's it's finding a little room in your day-to-day or even if you get like a, a windfall that you wasn't aware of and just putting that away to the point to where you feel comfortable now once you get a little bit more established you look at how much for me i say a year um I say your FU fund should be about a year um, worth of living. And I say that only because I know a lot of people who, you know, things would happen at work, whether they whether they left voluntarily or they were forced out and they would literally be unemployed for a year. And I just use that as my basis. A lot of the professionals, they say three to six months. Um, but I say just keep saving and don't, and. The whole point of the FU fund is not an emergency. Like, so I look at it as this is my this is my get out of jail. Like, if anything go down, you know, I know I'm good. But I'm gonna try to I'm gonna exhaust every other resource before I touch that money. And I think that's the difference. So I feel like a lot of people they'll start saving, but if something comes up that they could kind of hold off or they can figure out a different way to do it, they'll go they'll use their savings instead of trying to find another path. And I say, don't act like it's not there. Act like it's not there until that last, last hour. And you know, like that mental shift, I feel like that's how people will start getting that money together. Now, I want to shift gears just a little bit, just um, because of going on in the news with uh, Me Too and everything and you kind of talked about a little earlier with um, women in the workplace is just more so about who's interested, who's who has aptitude. But um, with, with, I was just curious from your perspective, all these things going on and um, all the stuff in the news, uh, do you feel like it's, um, I was just curious from your take on all that, and, you know, just stuff in the workplace, or especially for men who may not be aware or have a good idea. Um, can you just speak into that a little bit? So honestly, I love the Me Too movement. I think it's, I'm not gonna use the word brave because <laughs> I don't think it's that brave. Yeah, like real talk. I mean, Rachel, 
Um, I know you wanted Latoya to come on. Been a great conversation. Anything else we need to talk about that we forgot? No, she gave she great education for me, Latoya. So thank you. So you know, normally I'm a big talker, but I uh, I enjoyed a lot what she was talking. <laughs> no, I'm, so yeah, when I'm I hearing things that I like to hear, so I am very quiet. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh wait, wait a minute. So wait, I get a I get a return of yeah. invitation. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's a sequel. There's a sequel. No, so, but we really thank you. Thank you for your time. I know it's late too, but we really thank you. Um, thank you, Rachel, for recommendation for her to be on. Um, and I, I'm hoping people understand that education is so key into making good decisions. And um, a lot of people say, well, I got in the intuitive factor. My intuition says that no, be educated and make really educated decisions and you got a lot of that through a lot of things that you said and that you shouldn't have excuses because there isn't not really you can open a book you can hear what someone clearly tells you stop buying starbucks you buying ventes twice a day and at the end of the week you can't pay your bills what are you doing now look sorry this might be a topic for part two but um I know, you, like you said, you met, you went to uh, South Africa, correct? And um, so I spent some, I did like a, a couple of weeks, like maybe three, four weeks in China. Um, and, you know, China, copyright laws, you know, they don't care. They'll, they'll bootleg anything. And, you know, we may have to talk about the idea. Like, again, you're in marketing, so branding, imaging, and um like in, in New York, especially, is I know there's these uh, are these little back off back rooms where people sell the knockoffs and all that, and I'm just be curious to see if people know the difference between you know real and fake. Someone spending a thousand dollars on something versus twenty dollars, you know what I mean? So just the average eye is not gonna get it. You know, but just the that whole the idea of branding and why people do it. I love you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm like, yeah, like that's a whole, that's a whole different podcast because I can go on for an hour about that. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I'm, you know, I'm curious just because. Yeah, especially in New York, it's just like, and you have those people who are like, there's no way in hell I'm going to buy a knockoff because I I want to have a certain caliber of, of brand and I purchased that for that reason, uh, you know, whether they have the money or not. But normally when they do have the money, those people are not going to want to buy a knockoff. They want the real thing. And can very much tell when it's not most of the time. Okay, no problem. So, again, thank you so much, Latoya. I really uh, appreciate your time. Um, like I said, honestly, I'm a talker, and you just <laughs> drop some things, and I'm going to get a chance to listen back at it. So we Definitely would love to have you back on, and we appreciate your time. Sure, as no well. problem. And Rachel, you need to have your separate mic next time, if you don't mind. <laughs> I actually like being there in person because I know my voice. And... Go to the studio. Yeah, you're going to be an active member. How about that? Exactly. There you go. Okay. Well, we appreciate you, and thanks, everyone, for tuning in to M3 Millennial Money Management.
Thank you. Good night. Good night.